4640 students, tonight is a very special night. I'm not sure how many of you know this, but instead of one of us pastors preaching tonight, we have six middle school students from among you that are gonna be preaching tonight. So we're really excited. They wrote all of these sermons. They wrote them themselves. They prayed about it. They asked God what they thought or what God wanted to say to their fellow middle school students. Then they wrote these and they've been praying about them and working on them for a couple weeks, almost a month, some of them. And they are amazing. I've heard them throughout the afternoon and I am so proud of them. Let's also give it up for the parents on the side of our middle school preachers. Welcome parents and grandparents. Super excited to have you. You guys are gonna be proud. We'll be passing out the tissues in a couple minutes. But make sure you guys give, it, give a lot of respect and a lot of attention to your peers as they get up and do something that takes a lot of guts and courage. You're gonna love it. Our first speaker tonight is Rachel. She is a seventh grader at West Middle School. So listen to what she has to say. You could say I've fallen in love with dance. It's an incredible art form. Two years ago, I was placed in a dance company that has certain requirements for my level. Now, in the level that I was dancing in, it is a very high level, and the requirements are very strict. So, those strict requirements are two ballet classes, two jazz classes, a tap, and a hip-hop class, all from certain teachers on certain days. And one of those days is Wednesday, and that's the only time I could get those classes, but also, 4640 is only offered on Wednesdays. So, I had a huge choice to make. Do I put 4640 behind? Do I put God behind and dance first? Or do I put God first and I fall back on my dance requirements? So, I decided to put a... <clears throat> I decided to miss a jazz class every Wednesday so I could be here at church. I always knew to put God first. Those of you who know me, I'm a pastor's kid. I was raised that way. <laughs> it was a no-brainer, perhaps. So then, for that sacrifice of the class, I was promoted to an even higher level in the summer. Now, right away, even though I didn't meet the requirements, I knew it was a blessing from God. Then, the school year came around. The new schedules were released, and I was devastated at the news. Again, I was gonna be missing another class ballet this time. And ballet, it's, it's mandatory, I have to have it. And so, dance was trying to get in the way of God. God was always first, I always knew that. But this time, it was a huge battle. I was angry, confused, frustrated, sad. I almost felt alone. I was so, so just, <clears throat> I almost lost myself at the moment. I asked God questions like, do you want me to fail? Do you want me to quit dance? Fine, if it's worthless, I'll just quit. I was so frustrated, and I went to my mom in tears, just screaming. So finally, after a while of being on my bedroom floor, tears streaming down my face, I was a mess, um, God finally said that I just needed to give the class to him. Like, I guess a tithe, to trust in him. So, of course, me being the Christ follower I was, and I am, I did. Then he surprised me by saying that there was a reward for this. An actual reward. I was like, okay, cool, I'll take it, sure, yeah. So about 30 minutes after I gave that conflict to God, 
my parents got an unexpected phone call. I was allowed to take an even more advanced class. Whoa, I was like, okay. So this new class would not only allow me to get up on my dance requirements, I was also able to go to 4640. It didn't conflict. So I of course took the opportunity and I thanked God right away. I was so, so happy. That ballet class shaped me into an even better dancer. And with me being able to go to 4640 every week, I was so, so happy. When I was all settled in and I was getting really good, one of the teachers at my studio left. Now, it might not seem that big, and for many of you, you might have experiences like that, maybe a coach leaving. You know that it probably won't affect you too bad in the long run, and that's what I thought. But I was really wrong. It seemed right around every corner there was a new, lovely surprise. Yay, okay. The schedule changed again. Oh, yay. So then, my jazz class conflicted with it, with 4640. Really? Okay, um, yay, okay. I was really worried this time. I got angry again, and I shut down, and I closed everyone out. But then, God reminded me something. I had to trust in him. Suddenly, the director of the studio came and asked me to move up into a higher level of jazz class. So that's when it happened. I was moved up to the highest and hardest level there was, advanced. What a privilege. I thanked God right away for that. I was so happy and astonished that I didn't even care. I worshiped him right away. I was so happy. I almost forgot that I was even dancing in general. You see, Jesus means so much more than any sport, club, group, art form, video game for you gamers. And that's the one thing that you really need to know. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago when Pastor JL brought out a letterman's jacket, week to week, week, you probably should be here every week. Um, <laughs> she brought out an amazing letterman's jacket that had all these fancy pins and letterings on it that showed what that certain person had accomplished. Now this is my mom's. Now, she lettered in soccer and was a freshman on the varsity team. That's really hard to get. She put hours of blood, sweat, and tears all to get this. Now, it looks pretty dang cool. Like, if you wanted to try it on, no, um, <laughs> you would probably think it's awesome to wear, and it actually is very comfy. But, now this is gonna show you Wait, you, are you paying attention? Hello, are you paying attention? Okay, okay. So, this is gonna show you what it all will mean in the end. All those points scored, all those games won, all those nights at church missed. See? It's nothing, it's, it's, it's worthless. What's it gonna do there? Is it gonna, no, it's nothing, seriously. <laughs> like, that's all. Philippians 3.8 says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything, all, everything else as garbage, counting it so I could gain Christ. I discovered this jacket a couple years ago. It was practically hidden away. 
My mom hasn't even seen it in years, worn it in years, has practically forgotten about it. And all of that hard work, all that blood, sweat, and tears into soccer, and she finds herself to get a jacket that she stuffs in the back of a closet for me to find. Wow. For me, dance means so much. And I even have a jacket of my own, a competitive jacket. Still as worthless as that. It seriously means that Jesus means so much more. Dance means nothing if it means losing my faith and connecting with God. Why would you put something that God created in front of him? Yeah? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. My faith and loyalty was something I had to work for, but it was all worth it. I have grown in my faith in ways unexplainable in the past couple of months. God has given me gifts and favor. Yes, I was given an enormous high promotion in dance, but everything God has given me and in my relationship with him means so much more. God is my first love and he always will be. Family second, friends third. The gift of dance will always mean a lot to me. I mean, it's worship, I absolutely love it. But I also love how God can speak to me through dance. But understand this, you will never, I repeat, never experience anything better than the filling of the Holy Spirit and what God has in store for you. So maybe the scoring of a hoop or scoring of a goal, you know, the shoot of a hoop or a home run, maybe beating that really hard level on a video game, you'll probably have five seconds of satisfaction with that. Okay, cool. Or maybe you get an applause or a trophy handed to you or maybe even a letterman's jacket. But that's cool, but only for about a year or so. But you could also have a gift from God. Right and faith that'll last in eternity. Now, this is what you really need to be thinking about. It's your choice. I know you might be struggling, like you really wanna be on that team, but here it is. Is it really all that worth it? Thank you. Love it. That was so great. All right, our next speaker that we're bringing out is seventh grade Jason from Redlands Middle School. Everybody give it up for Jason. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Jason Miller. My family and I have been attending Fellowship Church for about eight years now. Tonight, I wanna talk to you about courage and faith and how much courage it takes to show your faith. My story starts last September. All over social media, there were announcements for National Pride Poll Day. Seeing this was so exciting for me. I love to share my faith and having a group of friends come together bless my school sounded awesome. Of course, I assumed there would be a ton of 4640 students at Redlands Middle School. I mean, why wouldn't there be? There's a ton of Redlands students here every week. I set my alarm for 5 a.m got up super pumped to rock the day. I rode my bike so much faster than normal to get to school super early that day. As I rolled up around 6.45 to the flagpole, I wasn't seeing anyone standing around. All right, I thought, maybe I'm just too early. So I got situated, 
I pulled out my Bible and I found a few good verses. I checked my phone and a few verses and as it came closer and closer to the bell ringing, I started to realize no one else was gonna show up. I mentally ran through some friends for 4640 and couldn't figure out why I was still standing alone. I knew at least 10 people who attended Redlands saw the post about praying at the pole. Where were they? Once I finally realized I was the only one coming, I was a little unsure of how to start my prayers. What do I say first? How do I go about praying for a whole school all by myself? So I did read a highly intelligent, handsome, cool 12 year old guy does. I called my mom and dad. Together we prayed. We started with praying for me, then we moved to praying for my peers, then the staff, and finally every person who entered my school. Throughout the day, I felt energized, new, and fresh. I could tell that praying had affected my day. My prayers and the feelings that had come from them totally overcame the disappointment that could have come from staying in the pool alone. In Zechariah 4.10, it says, Don't despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. My small beginning was when I was the only one to show up at the pool. Over the next week, I couldn't get over the fact that I was the only one praying. Like, who else was praying for Edmunds? It needed done. And I came to the realization that I needed to be at the pole praying every week, not just once a year. Maybe if I could keep showing up, I could kind of recruit more people. Maybe they would start showing up. I decided Thursdays was the best day. I could remind people of 4640, and then they would come the next day. I tried to spread the word that I would be there every week. I talked to as many people as I could, anyone who I thought might come. The next week, Thursday rolled around. I did the same thing, up way early, ready to go. People would be waiting for me. But as I rolled up to this pole on my bike, there, once again, was no one. I have to admit, a bit, a bit of disappointment hit me for a minute. Then the Lord spoke to me. He told me that I didn't need others to be there for me to pray, that I'm a prayer warrior. My words are for God, to God, and that I just needed to pray. God told me that he would bring the right people to the pole. I just had to stay strong and continue to be there. Week after week, same routine. Still, nobody showed up. But I was still filled with the Holy Spirit and prayed. My praying grew. My words came easier each week. I was learning through praying how to pray. His presence was so obvious to me. My days were so much better each week. I got to the point that it didn't matter that I stood alone. Because I was standing there for my God, and there's no better way to start a day than talking to my God. It's perfectly said by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. This verse shows that we should stand strong, whether you are standing alone or together in your faith. You must not be discouraged or let down by the fact that we face challenges. In fact, let your challenges make you stand stronger, faster, and braver. The next week, I showed up at 645, and I started to pray. As the morning went on, nobody showed up. Redlands has implemented a new policy this year. In the morning, students cannot wait for school by the front doors. That happens to be where the flagpole is, but we have to wait in a student area. It's actually just coned off part of the parking lot. <laughs> on this particular Thursday, there was a new teacher on morning duty. She told me that I couldn't be in that area. I tried explaining that I was praying, but she didn't seem to care and insisted that I go to the student area. So I had to stand over in the asphalt and pray, but I did it. 
I called my mom because honestly, it kind of threw me off. Like my whole thing was at the pole. We talked for a bit and we prayed together. I decided regardless of where they made me stand, I'm gonna pray. When I got home that day, my parents and I discussed what had happened. We decided that in the hopes it was just a misunderstanding, we could kind of email the principal. The next day, my mom got a call from him, and she explained what had happened. He's very kind and accommodating, because it was, in fact, a misunderstanding that he would straighten out with his staff. We agreed on time that I could be at the flagpole, and it wouldn't be an issue. Every week, I show up at the pool, and I pray. When I first made this decision that this was going to happen, no matter what I had to come up against, it was kind of scary. It took a lot of courage to step out and show my faith in front of all my peers, knowing that I would see them all day. I had to get to a point where I didn't care what anyone thought. Actually, I was hoping they would question me. Then I could tell them about what I was doing, about God, and maybe they would even join me. It's just like it says in Matthew 4:19, And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I haven't quit inviting people. A few months ago, Avery started joining me. We take turns praying, reading verses, and read Jesus calling each week. We stand there together and get to feel God's presence every week. How awesome is that? There's a few people who pop in and out and join us from week to week, but last week we had six people show up. Six people who came to pray. I can't help but think that if God hadn't spoken to me, told me what he wanted from me, and if I hadn't had the courage to show up and show my faith, that those people might not have even been there. Mm -hmm. So what I really want you all to get out of my story is just because you seem to be standing alone, you must still stand. You're standing for God, and there's nothing more important. So good. So Redlands Middle School, I think you guys have been just called out a little bit. If you're at Redlands, we expect to see you at the poll every Thursday morning. That's tomorrow at 6.45. Meet Jason there and take a stand for God. I think that's super important. Really proud of you, Jason. That's so awesome. So our third speaker tonight is Lily. She's an eighth grader at West. She like straight up announces on the PA in the morning, yo, come to 4640. So check this out. Have you ever been in a situation where you have no idea what to say? Yeah, me too. <laughs> Over my middle school years, I've been told by so many kids that racquetball isn't a sport, that racquetball's easy. At first, I didn't know what to say. Like, you just don't go up to someone and be like, that's not a sport, that's easy, yeah. But soon I came up with, you're wrong. I travel all around the country and play in national tournaments yet it's not a sport. I've been in the newspaper and I've been on the news, yet it's not a sport. When you come and play me and you win and you don't break a sweat, then I'll admit, it's easy. <laughs> See, it's not about bragging. It's about standing up for what you believe in and what you know is right. This comes up in a paper I wrote a couple months ago in my ELA class. Has anyone ever read the book, Heaven is for Real? That's what my memoir was about. I wrote from the perspective of the main character's dad, Todd Burpo. In the story, I put a story about a professor and his student. A university professor challenged his students with the question, did God create everything that exists? 
A student bravely raised his hand and said, yes, he did. God created everything, asked the professor. Yes, sir, the student replied. The professor then answered, if God created everything, then God created evil, since evil exists. And according to the principle that our work defines who we are, God is evil. The professor was quite pleased with himself and boasted to the students that he had once proven again that the Christian faith was a myth. Another student raised his hand and said, can I ask you a question, professor? Of course. Professor, does cold exist? What kind of question is that? Of course cold exists. Haven't you ever been cold before? The student then replies, in fact, sir, cold does not exist. According to the laws of physics, what we consider cold is in reality the absence of heat. Every body or object is susceptible to study when it has or transmits energy, and heat is what makes a body or matter have or transmit energy. We've created this word by man to describe how we feel when there is no heat. Professor, does darkness exist? Of course it does. Once again, you are wrong, sir. Darkness does not exist either. Darkness is in reality the absence of light. Light we can study, but not darkness. In fact, we can use Newton's prism to break white light into many colors and study the various wavelengths of each color. We cannot measure darkness. Darkness is a term used by man to describe what happens when there is no light present. Finally, the young man asked the professor, does evil exist? Now uncertain, the professor responded, of course, as I have already said, we see it every day. It is the daily example of man's inhumanity to man. The student replied to this, evil does not exist, sir, or at least it does not exist unto itself. Evil is simply the absence of God. It is just like darkness, it is just like cold, a word that man has created to describe the absence of God. God did not create evil. Evil is not like faith or not like love that exists just as light and heat. Evil is the result of what happens when man does not have God's love present in his heart. The professor then sat down. This student, st <laughs> this student stood up for what he knew was right and what he believed in. He showed God's light will shine no matter how dark a room is. 1 John 1.5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and I can proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is full of light and in that light, he helps you stand up for what's right and what you believe in. Imagine if you or your friend was being bullied, you would stand, try and stand up for yourself or you would stand up for your friend because what that bully is doing is not right. That's God's light shining through you. Yes. Next, welcome to the pulpit, Zach Bishop. He's a seventh grader at West. Give it up for Zach. Last summer, my dad took my little brother and I to Denver for a voice trip to see a concert and visit the zoo. It was an exciting time for us. On our first night there, we checked into our hotel, ate a nice dinner, and then went to the concert with my dad's friend and his son. On our second day, we checked out of our hotel and started driving to the zoo. We were in a hurry because I needed to get back for the 4640 conference. As we were driving, we stopped at a red light for an intersection for a tram crossing. The tram actually stopped on the track, so we had to wait there for a while. My dad turned off the truck while we waited. 
After a few moments, he looked over at me and said, Zach, wouldn't it be crazy if the truck didn't start? <laughs> the tram moved along, the light turned green, my dad turned the key, and sure enough, nothing. <laughs> the truck wouldn't start. At first, I thought my dad was messing with me, but the look on his face said otherwise. I could tell he was really concerned. I couldn't believe it. We were all totally shocked. Our truck always started. How is this even possible? We were first in line at an intersection and there were many cars behind us, including a semi-truck right behind ours. People were started to get, people started honking and getting upset. They just started driving around us. My dad called his roadside assistance and after a few minutes, they told him that they would send a tow truck to come get us. Soon, a guy from the tram station came and put a cone behind our vehicle to help us not get hit. <laughs> then my dad asked him to call the police so that he would figure out how to get the truck moved while we waited for our tow truck. My dad was working on the truck and he said that there's been a total electrical failure, so we couldn't even get the truck out of park, so that meant we couldn't even push the truck out of the street. My brother and I were really worried. It was a busy intersection and cars were flying past us trying to get wherever they were going. Finally, a police officer showed up. He parked right behind us with his lights on. He was very nice and he said he would stay there until our tow truck arrived. Then my dad got a call from the tow truck driver. The roadside assistant sent him to the wrong side of Denver. It was gonna take him another 30 minutes to get to us. What, could, what else could go wrong? My dad, my brother, and I sat in the truck and prayed. We asked God to deliver us, and we thanked him because we knew he had a purpose in all this, even if we couldn't see it. The police officer then told us that he had called a short tow. Soon, a big tow truck arrived and loaded our truck on its flatbed, and it moved us to the side of the road. The driver tried to jumpstart our truck, but it didn't work. So we left us there, waiting for our roadside assistance truck. At least we were in the middle of the intersection anymore. That was a relief. <laughs> Finally, after about 20 minutes, our tow truck arrived. My dad asked the driver if he had a battery jump box. The driver said he did, and he offered us to let us try it. I was praying the truck would start. And you know what? It started. We rejoiced, and we made it to the zoo just in time. Thank you, God. I share this with you tonight because I've thought a lot about how God delivers me in so many ways. He may have delivered me from a bad accident that day, allowing our truck to break down. Maybe he delivered me from some other awful event. But I know this, I might not understand all God's purposes that day, but he used this event in my life to teach me to trust him more. Maybe you've experienced something bad recently in your life. Maybe you got kicked off the football team. Maybe that girl you like said no. Maybe you weren't able to hang out with your friends last week like you wanted to. Maybe your car broke down like mine. Can you trust God's using these things in your life? Maybe he spared you from something awful, or maybe he's teaching you to come closer by taking other distractions away from you. I believe God spared my brother, my dad, and me that day because we love him. God also used this event in my life for something else, something I can see. You see, when Pastor JL first asked me to speak at 4640, I really didn't want to do it. She and my dad kept encouraging me, and I still didn't want to do it. <laughs> but then Pastor Joe said, Zach, how about you just tell a story in your life God has done in your life? Then I thought of the story I just told. 
And I knew that God has given me this story to share here at 4640. 4640 has given me so much, and this is an opportunity for me to give it back. God probably had many reasons for allowing our truck to break down. And I'm thankful for all of them. But tonight, I'm especially thankful for God to use this event in my life to inspire me, I, inspire me, me to do something I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. Romans 8.28 in the Bible says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God has shown me the truth in this verse, which is he works out things for me. And I believe God will show you each as well. Thank you. Way to go, Zach. That was so awesome because there's some of you out there that are bold and you're the talkers. Zach's not that. Zach's the guy that's like quietly smart, always thinking about stuff. And so that took a ton of courage for him. So our next speaker is ready to go. Apparently I'm blocking her and slowing her down. This is Emily Holman and she's in seventh grade. In Genesis chapter six through eight, God commanded Noah to build an ark, put his family and a male and female of every kind of animal on it. What God was looking for in Noah was that Noah would put his trust in God's hands. And instead of asking why, or not doing it because it seemed like a lot of work, Noah listened to what God told him. If Noah hadn't done what God commanded and trusted God, he and his family would have died with all the evil in the world. But instead of walking the wrong path, Noah walked the right path by trusting God. The outcome of Noah trusting God was he didn't die. He put his trust in God and instead of worrying, he trusted and followed God's instructions. The Bible says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Because of this, we learn there's always an outcome to trusting God. Even if you can't see what it is right now, you should always put your trust in God because he'll get you to where you need to be. The first truth I want you to know is always trust God. As some of you know, I'm an only child, but that's not only what I am. At a young age, I was without a father. My mom was constantly providing for us. I always wondered when my dad was coming back. As I got older, I learned he wasn't coming back, but I didn't know why. I was confused, I was lost, and I was mad at God. I prayed every day asking God to bring a dad into my life that would marry my mom. Then I could have someone to play sports with and all the things my mom couldn't do because she was busy taking care of our little family. Finally. At the age of eight or nine, God put in my heart that I would get a dad soon. I didn't believe him at first because it felt like God had taken my biological father away. I soon realized it wasn't God's fault for my dad leaving, but it was, it was what God had planned for my mom and I. You might wonder why the God who created the heavens and the earth and every single thing on the planet would leave a three-year-old girl fatherless and have her mom the only provider for the family. That's just not him. But it is. Because before you were born, he planned out every second of every day of what was going to happen from the day you were born to the day you die. Why, you ask? Because he cares for his kids and he wants to make sure everything goes as planned. Will there be a few bumps here and there? Yeah, of course there will be. But it's all part of what God has planned for you. So, I decided to trust God. 
And what I soon came to notice was that my mom started dating this guy named Bubba. His real name's Scott. I prayed a lot from the age of four to nine years old, and God heard me. I finally got a new dad because of putting my trust in God's hands. He gave my mom and I the answer to our prayers. The truth is, just because something happens in your life and you don't see a way out, doesn't mean there isn't one. God always makes a way out of trouble. My second truth is, you need to trust God. No matter how big or how small your problem is, God can handle it. Just give it to him. Trust him, and soon you'll see the outcome of trusting God. In Psalms 9:10, it says, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Just because God hasn't answered your prayers that day or that week doesn't mean you should give up. There is a way out that God is in the process of making. It took God six years to give me a dad. He has more than enough of his kids to look out for than just you or me. You just have to take his hand and trust him through the process. It'll take a while, but don't lose sight or trust in God. Every, what this, um, what? The, <laughs> Psalms 91.14 says, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. What this means to me is that God's always got your back through all of it. Every test, every loss of a family member, every time someone's parents get divorced, every time a parent leaves you, or any other thing that comes your way. No matter what, God has your back through every step of every day. My third truth from this is, trust God with everything. After hearing all of this, you might be wondering why or how to trust God. You need to trust God because everything in this world, all the evil and all the good has happened for a reason. All you have to do is lean into God and trust him. He's there all the time to catch you when you fall and help you back onto your feet. God knows you better than any other person on this planet. He knows what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. He knows what you're facing and knows what you can and can't handle. So now, you probably want to know how to trust God. My final truth is how to trust God. First, give everything to God. If you want to trust God, you have to always give him everything. Every problem, every worry, anything, and everything. This is how I picture trusting God. So this little circle is you. So you might be wondering, what's everything surrounding you? Well, everything surrounding you is God. Even though you can't see him, he's there every second of every day. And his bubble is the size of the universe and more. Right. Once you give all your problems, all your worries to God, you're stuck in God's bubble or his protection, the hands of God. Even if you fall back out of his bubble, you can call again to God for help. This pulls you or anyone who trusts God back into his bubble. Once you're back in God's hands, he'll make a pathway through that problem or worry just by trusting in him. Step two to trusting God, pray constantly. After you've given everything to God, you have to pray constantly about that problem or worry because it may not be answered right away. So you continue to ask God for help through it. By praying constantly, it builds the relationship and trust you have in him deeper and gives you a reason to always want to talk to him. My last truth is to be patient and trust him. He will answer your prayers. Just keep your trust in him and all will be good. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show which path to take. 
After giving all of your problems and worries to God, he's in the process of making a path through your troubles that very second. He's at work every second of every day to help you get through your problems or worries or whatever you may be facing. All you have to do is trust him. Thank you. Our last speaker of the night is Noah Hone. He's a seventh grader at Independence Academy, so give it up for Noah. Many of you who don't know me, I have wrestled since I was three years old. I love wrestling because it gives me a way out of things going all around. When something's bad, I can go to practice and not worry about it and kind of take it out on my opponent. My... <laughs> My first year, I had not won a single match. Then the next four or five years, I went undefeated at local tournaments. Basically, at this point, wrestling was my life. Every night, there's practice. Then on weekends, there's a tournament. Eight months out of the year, I wrestle and train. I love wrestling because it gives me a chance to test my medal and come out on top. At the end of the match, when you put blood, sweat, and tears into it, and your hand gets raised in victory, nothing feels better. So about two years ago, I was going up against a good wrestler that was on my own team, and I wrestled him every day in practice. So every day I'd beat him, and had beat him the week before at a tournament up in Eagle Valley. So the next week, I was in the finals at the state tournament. I had to wrestle my teammate, and if I won, I'd be a state champion. Then the day of the tournament, I got to the finals, and the devil started getting in my head. And then I started psyching myself out. I had known what I had to do. I had trained for this day for months. Then a voice came in my head that was saying that I couldn't do it. So I walked out on the mat, and I was still thinking about that I couldn't do it. So I wasn't fully on the mat. I knew what to do to get the devil out of my head, but for some reason, I didn't do it. So I lost the match 3-2, to two, and my state title gone, just like that. I went on practicing harder and harder, and my mom had talked to me several times about the spiritual battle going on around. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12. I kind of would let it pass in one ear and out the other. I did that because my mom's a pastor, and I was like, of course she's going to say some kind of biblical thing. And I felt like I had known more because I'm a little bit hard-headed. But then my mom would have me put on my armor of God every morning. Ephesians 6, 14, 17. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 14, 17. All of a sudden, all these things that would come in my mind and knock me down weren't coming anymore. I would go to national tournaments and wouldn't be worried or have doubt anymore. So a lot of you might be getting attacked in similar areas and you didn't know what to do. So this is how you place the armor on. I want everyone to stand up. For me, we are going to place the armor on together. So the way that I do it is I say I place the helmet of salvation. 
the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sandals of peace, the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith on. You guys can sit down now. The helmet of salvation is to block the devil from getting in your head. The breastplate of righteousness, to know you're righteous and worthy. The belt of truth is to stop the lies that the devil tries to throw at you, and it gives you truth. The sandals of peace gives you peace and comfort. The sword of the spirit is God's Bible verses. And the shield of faith is to stop the fiery arrows that the devil tries to throw at you. But then back onto my story. I started to put my armor on. I worked hard for the next tournament and met God halfway. So then I wasn't carrying the weight on my shoulders. I didn't have to use my strength. I relied on his, which he can if you want him to. So then next tournament rolled around and I ended up pinning every kid on my side of the bracket. And instead of letting the devil get in my head, I let God worry about that. And I could just go out and wrestle. Some of you might go through battles where you don't know what's going on, and that is because it's a spiritual battle. This is why I encourage you to put on your armor. Putting on the armor of God has really helped me, and it will help you defeat an enemy that is out to still kill and destroy you. God is greater than anything that could come against you. So use the armor and the weapons that he created for each and every one of us. So good. Literally, every single day, Noah's saying he puts those things on. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth. I do it too. It is something that will change your life, even if you don't understand the fullness of what that means, because I don't know if anyone really can understand how deep that really is. If you say that, go in your Bible to Ephesians 6 and literally put on that armor like Noah just taught you, it will change your life. Guys, I'm so proud of our student speakers. Let's give it up for them one more time. So good, such good preaching. All right, let me pray a prayer of blessing over you all. God, I love these kids. All of Orange Team loves these kids, and we ask that you would put a blessing upon them, that you would supernaturally strengthen them. God, we ask you bring the right friends around them. You remove the wrong influences from their lives. You give them the self-control to overcome temptation, overcome temptation, that they would know the sound of your voice in their lives, and they would do what's right and love you always and bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We love you guys, and we'll see you next Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.